The year is 1980. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Variant cover. Hello and welcome to My Marvelous Year, the show where we go through Marvel Comics from its origins to today. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com, and I am joined on the other line, as always, by somebody who probably deserves a better introduction than this. It's Zach Dean. How's it going, Zach? <laughs> you have to plan these weeks ahead, weeks ahead of time like I do. Here's the thing. You don't get to I tell me I have three paragraphs written. I do That's what I want, true. man. Freeform improv, and I'm so good at it. <laughs> Clearly. This is like a... This is this is jazz. It's verbal jazz. Verbal jazz. and Which is just conversation. Feeling, yeah, from, yeah, from absolute amateurs. Uh, yeah, so we're going to be talking about the Marvel comics of both 1979 and 1980 today. This is a double yeah, up skipped... variant cover. Yeah, we, we skipped um, 79 because... <laughs> Were you sick? <laughs> I've been sick <laughs> for approximately sick? Yeah. five weeks. I want to say. Yeah, there's there's yeah, a so reasonable think, think chance that you're going to need a new a new host to join you uh, in the coming weeks. I think this could be it. Oh, this is it. This is the big one, huh? I I think I might get out this variant cover, do some ridiculous additions to the colossal chick man story, and then just keel over at my desk the way the way I always said I would want to go. <laughs> Talking about a chicken Superman. Um, yeah, so, yeah, this is a 79, 80, and then a little bit of, like, especially through the emails, a year-end recap. Because we've got a lot of emails here, and a lot of them are talking about 2019s, you know, the my marvelous year in 2019, or the 70s as a whole. So, um, yeah, let's, uh, let's jump into it. First, I just want to say thank you to everyone over at Patreon.com. Uh, especially this week, I want to call out Kurt and Mary. So thank you so much, because this week we, we fell just a little behind our My Ultimate Year goal, a little under that. And they realized it earlier this week, and they, like, rallied together. Kurt brought a couple people in. Mary bumped up her um, her backing, and uh, it was very sweet to see people, like, jump in, because they want to see episode three of My Ultimate Year, which we will be recording later this week if Dave does not die. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was really nice our, of everyone. So it, My Ultimate Year is Zach and I were reading through the entirety of the Marvel Ultimate oh, Universe. Yes. Which began in the year 2000, and it is entirely made possible by Patreon support. So thanks yeah. to those of you yeah, who yeah. helped us get Very to nice. that goal. We will be doing uh, our third episode. It will be some Ultimate Spider-Man, some Ultimate X-Men, and one other maybe Marvel, Marvel team, team up. up. Okay, yep. it's finishing finishing up Marvel team up mostly. Yeah. So for those of you who are Which is interested good. I'm, I'm glad in um, the Ultimate Universe, you can with Patreon access get access to those episodes monthly as long as we are above our goal. Otherwise, we will be releasing them six months after uh, Patreon's patrons get them, right, to the regular feed. Yep, yep, yep. Um, okay, so let's jump in. We have two polls. We had one for 79 and one for 80 here. Let's do the 79 one, and we'll get back to 80s later. Okay. I wrote, what's your most anticipated comic read of the 1980s? And not necessarily something that you've already read that's your favorite. Like, what are you most excited about reading? So... Without looking at this, Dave, what would you guess are like some of the top contenders for this? The people, uh, X Men, Daredevil, Thor. 
Okay, so <laughs> X-Men, weirdly enough, is in like, I don't know, it has three votes. We got 46 votes here. Now, could this be the uh, caveat that too many people have already read it? Yeah, I, I don't know exactly how to split that. But, you know, I okay, so I guess I, I won't dance around it. Daredevil won by a landslide three times as many <laughs> votes as second place, which is uh, tied for, oh my god, Second place is tied for Thor with Walt Simonson. Makes sense. Secret wa- Secret Wars by Jim Shooter, and <laughs> I did. I did. Uh, I I usually don't peek at like who voted what, but this time I did write it down, and all of you are on a list now. And after we read Secret Wars, I'm going to come back to you and uh, make sure that you, you know. And what you're gonna you're gonna write them a nasty email? Is that what is that yeah, what getting exactly. you on the list? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna dox all of them. Yeah. Okay, um, right. Dawn of X and them. Uh, so t- tied between Thor, Secret Wars, New Mutants by Chris Claremont, and Spider Man by Tar- Todd McFarlane. Uh, oh, okay. Going later in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, that, that list actually makes a ton of sense. It's interesting to me people would be the most excited about Daredevil, although yeah, I'll yeah, admit that's the probably super... the that's probably the most like iconic single creator vision, I guess. I mean, I, I like Simonson's Thor I mean, an awful lot. Yeah, I was like, that say Daredevil. Simonson's I mean, Thor. Frank Miller wrote Dark Knight Returns. Like, dude's on a level as, as a superhero comics creator that like, it's like him and Alan Moore in terms of you know, like who are the big guns? Especially this, this era, period. yeah, this yeah. era specifically, yes. And then, like, he stops making comics around 1993, right? So, you know, like, who knows what happened to him? But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For the time, his Daredevil is. I we're going to talk about this in 1981 because that's we're going to read like the first big issues, but it's really revolutionary um, in ways that yeah, I okay. I mean, I didn't quite uh, recognize even the. First I haven't time. I haven't read it yet, but I'm I'm really excited because I I think so far everything I've read has just been drawn by him or maybe co-plotted. So to see him like take over writing, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, kind of way back in the pack with two or three votes are Fantastic Four by John Byrne, Uncanny X Men by Chris Claremont, mm-hmm. Alpha Flight by John Byrne. Um, Hang on, you put Alpha Flight also, on the poll? Yeah, of course I who did. Made, who makes these things? Good grief! I did. Yeah. <laughs> of course I did. Alpha Flight. Also, the people who voted for Alpha Flight, I also did take your names down, and I will be sending you a gift basket in the mail. A gift basket. Um, wow. And then, uh, with one vote each, Hulk by Peter David, and I lumped Marvel original graphic novels in together. So, God Loves, Band Kills, New Mutants, Death of Captain Marvel, Doctor yeah. Strange, Doctor Doom, etc. And then with zero votes, kind of surprisingly, because I thought people liked it, uh, Iron Man by David Michelini. No votes. Uh, no. That's that's more under the radar. You get that. Yeah, I guess. except we already kind of dipped into it, so I don't know. Uh, so, what are you most... You've read all these before. What are you most excited about? reading again uh i'm excited to read alpha flight i have to say because oh with like it's you know because we've been uh, talking about it a lot and i'll admit like i've given it a little chance here and there but again like giving it an uh, attention in order to point out why i did not include it on the list to you uh will Uh be particularly fun for me um gotcha gotcha gotcha. no no and and also just like it's a little less familiar to me which is appealing i mean I, i gotta say like there's not there's not a ton that I'm super jazzed about that I've already read, but I will say <laughs> I I enjoy some of the expanded stuff, like like the Dark Phoenix saga, for example. When I was reading that, I went in and threw in all the classic X Men tie-ins that were produced later yeah. in the '80s. Like that, that's where my head's at is finding like these weird little nooks and crannies. Um, and I think too, like looking at stuff that's been added since the club began. Like, for example, there's yeah. a Black Widow story in Marvel Fanfare with uh, George Perez pencils and plots. That, like, I, that's really good. I, I read that one. Yeah. 
the coolest Black Widow has ever been. It's like the coolest any character has ever been. Yeah. There's one shot in that that was the the background of my phone for like a year of uh of Black Widow coming out of the bathroom like soaking wet in her her leather suit holding a uh, a henchman by the face like this limp the limp body of some uh, assassin by his face like dragging him out. Oh, so cool. Yeah. Yeah, those those fanfare issues are um are absolutely wild like in the course of like six issues you get a cover with spider-man fighting a pterodactyl there's a bunch of interesting black widow stories and then you get a one issue that's entirely a prank war between the thing and johnny storm that's really funny that i i think is actually worth including because that uh that issue is great interesting yeah yeah that off the beaten yeah. path stuff is uh is always fun to explore and check out yeah yeah, yeah. okay let's uh let's jump into an email here i'm gonna go back in time some of these are from uh back in december um zach dave or emailing <laughs> email monitoring robot overlord thanks for keeping me entertained with the podcast um this is uh alex Lucher. i just wanted to call out that uh he he mentions and recommends marvel comics the untold story which you have read uh have you I not have read that not. yet I have not. I just bought it on Audible yesterday. Yeah, actually. you'll dig it. Um, you'll it was, dig it. That's, it was on that's sale on Audible. Yeah, for anybody who enjoys this club. It is. I've been kind of putting it off because I wanted like a little more context of knowing these names first. But I think I'm pretty much... I, th- I think I have a pretty good grapple on uh, most of the people from, you know, 80s, 90s onward. Everything it covers. So It definitely helps yeah, to know the, the Marvel creative talent that it's talking about. Um, yes, so exactly. So you could even yeah. like finish a decade and then plow forward. I think, because it yeah. does proceed yeah, yeah, we'll more see. or less chronologically. Yeah, so thank you for the recommendation, Alex. Um, moving on to Peter Parsons. Hey, Dave and Zach, hard to believe this show has been going for a whole year. I know, it doesn't feel like a year. It's been a heck of a ride so far, getting to see so many well-known, beloved characters get their starts and reading many iconic stories. Some of them were less than impressive than I had hoped, such as Spider-Man's origin and the coming of Galactus, but others surprised and impressed me with great early runs that were not what I expected, such as Thanos' introduction. So now, some self-given awards. Ooh, I like Peter is just launching an awards show in the middle of our podcast. Sweet. Some I think you'll agree with, others probably not. Favorite fight. How green was my goblin? Even though it's not as epic as some others, the fight with Peter out of costume outside his house has a real sense of urgency and import that works on a personal level that can often be absent in comic fights. I totally agree. That's awesome That's your fight. favorite fight as well? No, I don't know if it's my favorite fight, but like I endorse that as a pick. I think that's a good pick. I would go um, Thanos versus Drax Mind War is probably my favorite fight. Uh, that a close good, second yeah. would be that time Thor fought Stiltman. Yeah. Because yeah. he's fighting a guy on stilts, and he's a god yeah. with a hammer. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that sounds dumb. Um, favorite art goes to Doctor Strange 1 through 5. Frank Bruner's art in this these issues was absolutely stunning, and it was a real disappointment to discover he didn't stay longer. All of his art that I saw was great, and these issues were top pick for me. Uh, yeah. Um, I think 1 through 5 is about all I read of that, and they are very good. I don't know. Favorite art? I'd probably... Like, the prettiest art is definitely... Um, Jim Starlin, maybe Starenko. Oh, it's definitely Starenko for, for me. It's just, yeah, I guess. No, I think it would be Starenko. Like, for if you had just to pick like, just, you know, 10 pages of, yeah, of design, yeah, yeah. like, almost all of them would be Starenko. If I, if I had to pick, like, best art as in, like, best functioning art, like, as, as it works on the page instead of just, like, individual pages that are pretty to look at. Oh, it's curvy. I think so far just, oh, I think Frank Miller's Daredevil. For me, I mean, like we don't, the way we don't that, have like, enough of that through seventy nine to compare him to Kirby. I already like it feels so ahead of its time in just like synergizing story and art yeah. together. Like yeah. that, it just works on a whole new level for me. Because I, I mean, I love, I love Jack Kirby's art, but I don't think he's like 
often making i don't know i don't want to like say he's not making big storytelling choices but i think he is i think he is literally making storytelling choices no no <laughs> I, you, know I, Four. you know i don't think anybody it's obviously yeah, debatable yeah, stan yeah. versus jack stuff but like i think he's telling the plot as he's drawing yeah and then yeah yeah the that's fair yeah yeah of course yeah um yeah so no shade to Jack Kirby, just uh, that Daredevil stuff blew me away. Best first appearance goes to Juggernaut. Juggy has had a weird early history, but that first <laughs> issue was him at his best. Does anybody Does anybody come Juggy? down further, you know? Like, Jug starts oh, sure. so hot, I mean, but then he's just yeah, not as cool I, for a long time. Have we read another Juggernaut issue? I don't think so. He's around in um in the Phoenix saga as it begins in Uncanny, in those early Claremont and Cochran uh, runs. Remember, because he's good pals I, I with do not Black Tom Cassidy. <gasps> oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, I actually kind of like that, yeah. He's got a great issue coming up in Spider-Man. Yeah, I was going to so say, there's a great nothing stops the Juggernaut. His, his next big moment is, is coming soon, um, but so I don't know that anybody works- starts hotter. <laughs> jerk or not and then yeah just comes yeah down. yeah yeah I, I guess he just works really well when he needs to get somewhere <laughs> and people want to stop him that's yes. like <laughs> yeah that's his thing i guess that's, yeah uh biggest disappointment you're gonna i don't know if you're how you're gonna feel about this one goes to magneto couldn't believe how not interesting this character is for how much depth i know he'll eventually get i was so bored by most of his appearances he's definitely not we've talked about this a lot but he's not fully formed in the way that that we yeah. look for him to be. Um, that said, he definitely has already started getting more interesting in the Claremont yeah. I'd, era. S- I'd say that like little arc in Claremont's thing where he's got the volcano base uh, was was the first like all right, Magneto's here. I, like, I actually like those appearances like. in the earliest Uncanny X Men too. Not necessarily number one, but like number four when he's putting the Brotherhood together and taking over an island. Like that's some yeah, good yeah. Silver Age villain stuff. I mean, yes, yeah, if you're gonna yeah. say he's I, not as good as he'll get, I would agree. Um, yeah, it's but he's tough, still it's one of the better villains in Marvel. In my mind, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Who's ahead of him? Green Goblin, Doctor Doom, Thanos. Uh, who am I missing? It's not a super. Like, uh, I mean, Bat Galactus, Rock. I guess. <laughs> Back Rock, Stillman, right? Of course. Um, well, not Stillman. Never mind. It's a, it's a really big <laughs> roster. Yeah. But I, I understand that disappointment if you, you know, have such big expectations and it's just like, no, it'll, it'll be, you know, 15, 20 years before he becomes the Magneto that like lives up to your expectations. Does anybody, I mean, also, does anybody change look, more than him? Like, does anybody get a layer like bigger than Magneto? I guess Kingpin actually we're about to see. Um, it's Professor not as X, substantial. To a degree. Like Professor X takes a really long time to, <laughs> you know, become as like the, the fully fleshed out creep that like he kind of, uh. He kind of becomes. I mean, he takes a turn for the worse, I would say. Yeah. Whereas Magneto actually provides empathy, um, yeah. understanding towards him. Oh, I mean, Iron Man, actually. Iron Man starts out as just nothing for 20 years until, like, you start feeling like, oh, Tony Stark's had, this man's got something to say. With uh, Demon in the Bottle, you mean? Or just in general. Yeah. I mean, with Michelini's run, period, with just, like, he's such a blank slate before that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I kept trying to dip into that Iron Man comic and it just never worked. Uh, best character I didn't see coming goes to Luke Cage. I knew very little about Luke Cage, and while we haven't read a lot of him, I really enjoyed him wherever he's appeared. Yeah, yeah I agree. I really like that series as well. I read, I probably read like a dozen issues into that, something like that. And um, yeah, Luke Cage is a lot of fun. Sure. Um, and finally, best moment, oh, best JJJ moment is when he throws his shoe out the window at Spider-Man. Yes, I totally agree. <laughs> that panel made me laugh out loud and like... Just the, the anger of throwing your shoes out of a skyscraper. <laughs> there you go. I could probably keep going, but this is probably already too long. It's been a great year, and I can't wait to get to an era. Many of the comic book vets in the club have been drooling over. Thanks for everything. Stilts be with you. 
Peter, aka the Colossal Chick Man. Thank you, Thanks, Peter. Peter. Okay, uh, got a, another big one here by Justin Wollenhaupt. Hey, gents, no questions here. Some year-end thoughts of the comics we've read thus far. I jumped on at 1974, went back to complete the 70s, focusing on lesser-known stuff I hadn't read before. I ended up reading a little over a thousand 70s comics with a few more things that I'm going back to finish. Yeah, Justin, um, so I think Justin is from Connecticut with me, and he has a, like, two-hour train commute daily, at least. He works in the city, uh, and uh, so he just reads lots of comics, lots and lots of comics. That's an impressive amount. After grinding through a lot of solo titles, I think the easiest way to keep up with all the new, lesser-known characters during the 70s without having to dive into non-list issues is to read Marvel Team-Up and Marvel 2-in-1. Just about every new character gets paraded through these books as part of their introduction to the universe, and you don't have to sit through their origins. They're usually established by then. That's pretty interesting. Like, an interesting approach to just like, yeah, I kind of just want to see all the weirdos that happened during this time period, and you read those two, and you get, like, one or two issues of each of them. Yeah, I like that. Um, Some note, yeah. Some notable stories the club might find interesting. Kill Raven, a long arc and amazing adventures with Don McGregor on writing. It doesn't resolve cleanly, but it goes interesting places, isn't a solid read. Do you know Kill Raven? Yeah, I was quite tempted to include more of that um, this year, but because it's its own thing and not yeah. really Marvel Universe, you know? Oh, is Kill Raven? Is that the. Uh... Is that the War of the Worlds guy? Yeah, yeah, it's War of the Worlds. Oh, I read a few. I read a few of those. That's a really interesting idea. It's like it's literally H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, but like a hundred years later, where like Martians have established dominance on Earth, and then it's like this weird, uh, like pre Mad Max. It kind of has this like leather daddy aesthetic to it (laughs) a little bit, while also mixing in this like the the classic like sci-fi story it's like a mix of like this old sci-fi story with their new aesthetic it's yeah it's really interesting if you like bronze age comics uh that's a great rec definitely recommend yeah yeah that's really interesting uh black goliath the five the full five (laughs) issue run of black goliath resolving in champions 11 through 13 is an eight issue what's in the box mystery with stilt man playing a heavy role throughout most of it Ugh. sounds Um, great yeah. Man-Wolf, picking up from his initial appearances in Amazing Spider-Man. Man-Wolf gets a solo run in Creatures on the Loose, 30 through 37. <laughs> I didn't know it. that was a... <laughs> Creatures on the Loose is a title that got at least 37 issues. I actually looked at that for like a bonus round thing, but I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> we do, do not have that, man yeah, yeah, Manwolf does not do much for me. Transitioning immediately to Marvel Premiere, John Jameson struggles to get back to the moon <laughs> to discover the secret of the stone that turns him into Manwolf, and the outcome is pretty wild. Uh, and then, Omega the Unknown, very interesting Gerber superhero ideas that make for a compelling 12-issue story that starts in Omega the Unknown 1-10 through 10 and resolves in Defenders. I genuinely Finally, don't note remember on... how Omega the Unknown came off the list, because I swear it was on the first time. It was. You uh like Did I move it to the bonus, round? bonus round stuff. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, That's yeah. how. Yeah, you like it. I I haven't looked at it at all. I don't really know what it's about. Okay. And finally oh, I'm not a note on Master it to you. It's way too weird. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Finally a note on Master of Kung Fu, highly recommended for those curious. Yeah, that is one that like I like I just don't have time or the patience to like read that many old Bronze Age comics, but like if I get an itch to go back to older comics, like reading through the run of masters of kung fu is just like way up there 
Because what, what we read really intrigued me, that spy stuff. Yeah. He says, the entire series is one long story that begins with Shang-Chi learning his father is his enemy and following that contact through, through to its conclusion and Chi's retirement at the end of the entire, end of the 125 issue run. It often reads like two different books, one when Gallucci is drawing it, another when it's another artist. The Gallucci stories are the ones I think people love when they talk about Masters of Kung Fu. Those are the stories where they heavily develop the spycraft of the main characters as they combat Fu Manchu's organization. The non-Gallucci issues tend to be side stories. The series itself is unique in a few ways. It's one long story that ultimately resolves. It is self-contained with little spillover to other stories and titles. It's a spy story at its heart with a lead whose martial arts specialty is Kung Fu, much more interesting than just a Bruce Lee figure doing Kung Fu things. Gulachi. What did I just say? You've been saying Gulachi. Gulachi? Okay. I just came across it again and forgot entirely how I'd been saying that. Galici's art is heavily film-influenced, which improves both the layouts and panel work while incorporating film references and homages. Very much looking forward to the 80s. I've started digging in, and things are already so much better than most of the 70s work. 1980 Daredevil is the truth. Best, Justin. Yeah, thanks for a lot of, like, cool, off-the-beaten-path recommendations. Yeah. Kill Raven, Black Goliath, Manwolf, Omega, and Master of Kung Fu. Yeah, Justin uh, reads a lot of comics. Seems crazy to me, but... um. Got one by Dave Coleman. Greetings, fellow Dave and random guest. 1979 may be the most marvelous year yet. I have a few questions. Last year, a friend of mine hosted a panel on disability and mental health in superheroes, and he argued that Demon in a Bottle is probably the definitive portrait of addiction in big two comics history. I'm not experienced enough to know, but what are your thoughts on this? Okay, the definitive. Um, I mean, definitely from this era, the other comparable stuff is Harry Osborn tries drugs. In Spider-Man, which I, I think we would say Demon in a Bottle is <laughs> yeah. a more uh, uh, Yeah, more I mean, nuanced. Harry Osborn's like, he took a weed pill and now he's going schizo. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's a lot of that. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think And then you the... have the famous uh, Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, where Green Arrow yeah. declares on the cover, my ward is a junkie, uh, which I would actually say is a little bit better than Harry Osborn tries drugs, um, but probably still not as well done as Demon in the Bottle. I think, like, Iron Man Saga has, it, over the years, has done a pretty good job of making it clear that this is an ongoing struggle for Tony Stark, you know? Like, it's just not, it's not like people forgot about this, which is important, yeah, sure. right? Because that's that's how alcoholism actually plays out. Um, let's see, other stories that really tackle addiction. Uh, <clears throat> Batman Venom, written by Denny O'Neill. Sure, yeah. uh, it's a, what is it, Tales... Tales of the Dark Knight, something like that. Um, I'm blanking on whatever that series, Legends of the Dark Knight, I think, in the early 90s. It's the Venom being the drug that eventually makes Bane, like the Bane becomes yeah. famous for. But before that point, uh, Batman gets hooked on it. And mm-hmm. it's a similar glimpse at addiction as, say, Demon in yeah. the Bottle. I, I mean, I'm not an expert, certainly, on the subject matter, so I'd be curious what people think. There is a big, like... Uh, oh, the way you cure this is you go cold turkey, go go in a basement, yeah, grow that, beard. That, that was going to be what I would say. Like, t- this might be j- judging it on a curve of like this is a comic <laughs> book. It's not trying to be like a serious portrayal of addiction, right? Oh, it's, like, it's it's trying. I don't. It's I, still a it's still a superhero comic, but it's trying to tackle the subject. I mean, I, I think, think Demon so in a Bottle too, is. I think I, well, no, I, I think it is just it's limited by its medium, right? Like they can't really get into the the like dark realities of an alcohol addiction right like about the time he really realizes he has a problem he is kicked it about what three days later something like that yeah you know like they they don't get into the lives ruined and the (laughs) people he's hurt you know and he doesn't kill anyone 
right? Like there are, and he doesn't, you know, like seriously put his own life in danger. Like there, there are other things, but you know, that is limited by the, you, I mean, you, you don't want to make that dark, that dark, like Iron Man, you know, drunk drove his suit and killed somebody, <laughs> right? Like that is not the story they're trying to tell. No. Um, but yeah, no, I, I would say the main criticism I would have against it and talking about it being like a de- definitive portrait of addiction is that it frames it entirely in the realm of willpower, right? Like, mm-hmm. It is all about, like, Tony Stark just needs, you know, he needs support from his girlfriend. I can't remember her name. Uh, and uh, and enough, like, willpower. Yeah. Um, Bethany Cable. Is that right? Which, like, I don't know. I mean, they're, he has had a bunch of girlfriends, and I don't remember just most right. of their names. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> so I, I think that, you know, like, pe- people who actually deal with real addiction would probably punch a bunch of holes in it and say, like, this is, you know, like, non-productive and... Uh, not really true to life but i think it's doing a good job at what it's shooting for like yeah yeah i mean i think you introduce the concepts in yeah in these stories that are not necessarily like super well suited to them um yeah yeah, actually we've been talking about frank miller daredevil i think uh i won't even say who it's kind of a spoiler if you haven't read it but that'd be another example of like using addiction to signify how serious and mature we can tell stories now. Sure, um, yeah. That's going to yeah. happen in Daredevil Born Again, where I, it's not really... The point of it isn't really addressing, like, what's this like and what does it do to people? Uh, yeah, It's right, kind of right, just right. used. Uh, but, you know, again, we'll talk about that when we get there. But I, I think, like... I, don't, I, I do think Demon in the Bottle is probably the biggest legacy of addiction in big two comics, you know? Well, I mean, again, like, this yeah, is a yeah. thing that still matters yeah. today. Yeah. I, I think my, the only thing I would like, I guess I'd just be wary of overvaluing this as some kind of like insightful look <laughs> at addiction, you know, like in anything that like comics yeah, tackle. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of don't like that though, because it's not like, you know, you made the point of like, well, it's the medium's not suited towards it, but that's, that's just an excuse to not do it well, you know? Like the medium can be whatever. No, I'm just it wants. I'm just saying like no that that's true. But like Marvel comics are not going to like like I said he's not going to kill a kid in his suit because he was drunk right and then like deal with the like the blood on his hands for the rest of his life because this is a Marvel comic in 1979 and we're yeah not, like but that could easily be a story in in 1996 you know yeah, as yeah, an attempt yeah, to be sure. like here's how we make this real um is that does yeah. that mean it's a good idea absolutely not. Like, it doesn't mean it's a good idea, and probably people would look back at that and say, hey, remember that time they, you know, assassinated Tony Stark's character by making him drunk drive a suit and kill a kid? You know, like, I don't think that would be looked on fondly, because at the end of the day, it's a hero who people want to look up to, who people want to aspire to. So I do think in that regard, Demon in the Bottle, like, kind of has its cake and eats it too with addiction. I mean, that is a really, it's impressive to me that that they pull that off. That you could add that to Tony Stark and not have people turn around and say, well, this ruins Tony Stark, right? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I come down on the other side of that where I'm just like, yeah, I think it uh, maybe is not quite as serious. I mean, it's this sounds really snobby and this sounds really elitist, especially for someone who, like, runs a comic podcast. But the idea of, like, Marvel superhero comics, it's kind of like how people filter things through Harry Potter all the time. And, like, view that as just, like, every, you know, like, social movement, viewing it through, like, Harry Potter. And it's just, like, but at the end of the day, it's kind of a kid's book, right? Like, there there is a level at which, like, it, it only is working on so nuanced a level. And pretending it has this, like, you know, this insight and this intelligence that it doesn't does a disservice to, 
you know, actual things that explore this with some kind of, you know, nuance and intelligence. Yeah, I and think I, we've I think disagreed like, by half measures on this exact argument um, yeah, on various yeah, variant covers, you know, uh, which which is fine. I'm, I'm not saying comic <laughs> books can't, like, deal with this stuff. Like, I just read um, Sabrina, that graphic <laughs> novel from a couple of years ago, and I think that book was, like, fascinating and had, like, so much, so many layers of characterization to it and, like, was tackling... Tackling a lot of uh, a lot of like real world stuff in a way that I haven't seen sure. in comic books. Period. I don't think Marvel Comics generally does that, you know. Like, but it's also not what they're setting out to do. So I don't really hold it against them too much. I think I just have kind of a problem pretending that this is. It's kind of like uh, when I was a kid and I played Final Fantasy VII, and I was just like, "This is the greatest storytelling that's ever happened," because I didn't know any better, I guess. And it's like, no, yeah. this is great storytelling for a video game in 1997. Like, it's incredible on that level, but, like, it's not a novel, right? Like, it's not... I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, mean it, I, I think at the end of the day, Demon in a Bottle is not... does not tackle addiction with the same uh, <laughs> level of craft as, like, Infinite Jest. You know what I mean? Like, there yeah, is... Yeah, sure. That, there, I you mean, can that, definitely go higher like, on the literary merit scale. And that's not <laughs> disparaging it, right? Comics. Like... It's I, fine. I don't mean to come across. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean to come across like I'm disparaging them for not, you know. I don't think like it's disparaging so much yeah. as saying like the idea of of anyone saying, and this is true of a lot of complicated subjects, but saying like, oh well, the medium just can't support that. To me, is an admission of defeat that I don't love. Um, that sure. said, I, I, you have to acknowledge that like it is extremely challenging to do it right. And that is the barrier. I mean, do you mean the you medium face. Marvel superhero comics or just comics? Uh, oh, oh, superhero comics specifically. Like just okay. comics. I mean, they can talk about whatever they Not want. Not even They're superhero comics, comics, but like Marvel superhero comics. Because I could see like Alan Moore doing a superhero series yeah. that, you know, like covers, you know, has like covers something with some kind of depth and nuance and the, you know, the, the real like darkness at the heart of these issues that I don't think Marvel Comics wants to get into. Or if they do, I mean, I guess the, the other problem with this is when they do try to do that, it comes across as just like Mark Miller seeming edgy, right? Like, yeah, I think the, gonna, the biggest gonna... problems are when it's used for shock value or it's used yeah. just to signify, yeah. hey, we're grim and we're mature. And then yeah. those yes, those types right. of approaches yes. tend to be very, very flawed because they aren't actually addressing like, what does this mean for people? And if you're exactly. going to throw in right. yeah. examples of drug addiction or sexual violence, like... There are major implications, and this is going to be challenging for a lot of people, right, in the real world. So to just sort of toss it in is like, hey, we're mature. That always right. yes. reflects badly, especially yes. now. I mean, that that is that that's a real thing. Video games have been going through forever, which is just like we tell mature storytelling now because it has rape in it. You know? Yeah, like, sure. It's like that doesn't mean that you are like mature storytellers all of a sudden. So, um, okay, yeah, I think I think we. You know what I would recommend points. is a four issue series called Buzzkill. Uh, I was written by Donnie Cates and released by Dark Horse this past decade. And it's about a superhero who only can use his powers when he's drunk, um, but he's an alcoholic. That is a book that I thought tackled that subject matter very, very well. Hmm, interesting. Oh, um, not superhero comics at all, but I just started reading <laughs> All My Heroes Are Junkies uh, by Ed Brubaker. Yeah, which love is it. Excellent. And yeah, looking at addiction. Um, Dave continues here. What do you think of the portrayal of Justin Hammer in the comics versus how Sam Rockwell plays him in the MCU? Keeping in mind the movies tend to play fast and loose with the way they portray villains. I think Sam Rockwell is the only good... 
about the only good part in Iron Man 2. There's one action scene at the end that I think is pretty cool. But besides that, Justin Hammer is like the only really fun part of that movie for yeah, me. Yeah, I love Sam Rockwell. Um, I despise Iron Man 2. I think we yeah, have an agreement that, there. That movie's pretty bad. Um, Oh yeah, Dave writes, for the record, I think Hammer is the best thing about Iron Man 2 by far. Yeah, D- Sam Rockwell has that great scene where he's like trying to sell weapons to, um, to Rhodey in the US military and he's like going through these weapons one at a time and it's just like, just him going, chewing the scenery, going hog wild. I love that. Yeah. Finally, has there been any word from Mantis about how the honeymoon's going? Did she send the Avengers a postcard or anything? Seems rude not to. In the year 2020, we'll finally find out. Uh, you probably have heard this already. But uh, yeah, Marvel's doing an event about this, which is just literally there is a a teaser poster that Dave like put up on social media that has a wedding cake with Mantis and tree swordsman on the top of it and the Avengers all like hanging out down at the bottom of the wedding cake. Yeah, the relevance of of Celestial Madonna era Mantis in in this year 2020 is probably the least likely thing that I could have predicted for for Marvel events. Uh, it is yeah, we already we, we talked about this me. in the last episode, but just it's just mind blowing. So the one thing I I don't know if I mentioned then, but what I know now because I've looked into this a little bit more is Mantis apparently plays a bit of a role in the relaunched Silver Surfer series that is written by Englehart, who obviously introduced all this stuff in Avengers throughout the 80s. So I doubt yeah. those comics will make the list uh, more often than not. But if you really want to know how uh, how she's doing post-honeymoon um, and, and how she does as a mama, <laughs> check out Silver Surfer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, but I'm curious about this event later this year. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of which, I want to take us on a, just a, a tiny diversion. I think I just read my first Marvel comic event ever. And it kind of surprised me because I, well, I, don't, I I feel like I'm even forgetting something. I've read some DC events, but I think it's the first time I read a Marvel comic event because I'm okay. reading Venom, the like current series by Donny Cates. Um, I right, just got second. caught up and along the way I read Absolute Carnage, the big event from last year. Okay. Uh, which I thought was fine. Like I was pretty into it. Like I think it started out really strong and then kind of just ended. Um, but events, are they bad? Because I mostly felt exhausted by it. Oh is that like, is that the norm? Is that I mostly felt like exhausted and bored by all the side stuff? So like, this will be a thread, obviously. Yeah, like we, I, so I, in I the 80s, we were moving to the era of events. Like they're going to yeah. become the norm as opposed to, uh, you know, this kind of this curious oddity. I, we've taught, we've answered this exact question on a variant before. I am one of the biggest proponents of events. I like the potential. I like the idea. There's always, always, always a mess of bad stuff that gets tossed in. So yeah. in terms of like being a completist with events, it can it can really bring down the experience. But it varies. Yeah, it's it like felt, any it story. Felt like it varies dramatically. Like, yeah. Yeah, because it was like I mean, Did you read every core? time? Because if you just read Venom and Absolute Carnage, uh, that's I not a bad probably like. No, it wasn't. And I mostly like, I, at some point I started skimming because like, I couldn't hear the word codex again. Like I just couldn't hear someone like yeah. talk about how, you know, they needed to collect a codex, a codices one more time. Um, and it was just like, some of the side ones were okay. There were a few standouts though. All right. I don't even remember which one. There's one there few the amazing were... one, which is the immortal Hulk tie-in. Yes, 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 yes. That was excellent. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the thing That's is, probably was, the exception, it was just the like, yeah, it turned into like, it kind of felt like homework again, which was just like, here's a checklist of comics. None of them are really integral to the plot. Most of them kind of feel like just, 
I don't know, they felt like bait. Like, hey, if you want to get the full picture. And then it was like most of the full picture is literally just like someone in the main event will mention that this happened. Yeah, I, and it it'll will, be interesting. And it will to... be a little asterisk. Yeah, yeah. Right, so totally, I'm curious, like, totally. It'll be interesting to track this, this progress was... as we read through because like 80s events, they don't necessarily do sprawl. that. Sprawl. They don't necessarily they don't have the, yeah. the sense of like hey, we're just going to sprawl all over and this is barely yeah. going to be connected at least once in the early going. You know, like if you think about small yeah. 80s events like the X-Men and Mutant Massacre, uh, every piece of that is, if it doesn't necessarily mean it's good, but it's definitely related, you know? Yeah. And now you get yeah, yeah. this thing where it's like, this isn't even related, but it just threw the... I mean, it literally would just it. be like, you know, three issues following some side character and then they would be like one background villain in the main event. Yeah. That kind of thing. I mean, this is like, why I rate the worthiness of tie-ins yeah. on Comic Book Herald reading orders, because for yeah. ones I care about, you don't need to read it. Yeah. And then I saw that like Civil War has like 300 tie-ins and I just got like exhausted. Uh, See, um, I like that idea though, conceptually, because it's saying here's the state of the universe and everyone yeah, is sharing yeah. this background. That to me is a sense of cohesion that I enjoy. I think I just got carnaged out also, because by the time I like got through all these, I was just like, I am kind of tired of hearing the same exact like car- carnage. Honestly, was the least interesting part about Absolute Carnage for me. <laughs> He's all over it, you know. So it's anyway, it fluctuates so much. I mean, if you like, War of the Realms yeah. is a pretty well done event. I doubt yeah. that even fifty percent of the tie-ins I would say are good. Okay, and I would call that. A good yeah, event. I'll. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to like litigate that specific. Two thousand fifteen Secret kinda... Wars is like ninety percent of the tie-ins I love. <laughs> like it's cra- it's a uh, crazy high ratio. It's got a good good hit rate. Okay, so uh, just two things I want to praise about Martyr- modern Marvel is one, that event was like totally self-contained, which is very cool. So even characters that it was pulling in, like Captain America and Miles Morales, like their series didn't get hijacked to, you know, become tie-ins, which I think is very cool and very smart. <laughs> so that like you're not reading your one series and you're getting like yoinked into yeah. this. Like it was basically Venom, which is integral to it. Uh, Two, this is other thing happening at, happening at Marvel that I just noticed, which is that they include the legacy numbering now on new volumes of comics. <laughs> yeah. And I am so pleased with that. That is such a cool idea. So it's like Immortal Hulk number 23. And then in small letters, it just says like legacy number 780 or whatever. Yeah. It's wild how long just, and how controversial a decision that was. Um, is it controversial? But it's good. It just seems like a no brainer. Like, yeah, of course. That way, you know, <laughs> you can. It was controversial because they switched to legacy numbering for uh what was it, 2017's Marvel Legacy? And then they switched yeah. back within like six months with yeah. all the number okay. ones. But uh, this approach, that. it lets them, again, have their cake and eat it too, where you can say, yep. we can do 8 million number ones um, and get those sales boosts, but we're also going to have the legacy numbering for those of you who are, I don't know, curious yeah, about the history exactly. of the publisher. Well, and then also you can have your Fantastic Four number 1,000, yes. right? And it feels a little more earned. Um, okay. Got a second letter by Dave here because he sent one in for 79.80. Some good questions. Dear Dave and distinguished co-host, this is a historic year for X-Men, not only for the Dark Phoenix saga, but for the introduction of Kitty Pride, my favorite character ever, tied with Nightcrawler, and I would argue the perfect candidate for a main character in a future MCU adaptation. Here's the case for her. As a new student at the Xavier School who has only begun to discover her powers, running with the character she's introduced in, as she's introduced in the 1980s, she provides an ideal 
ideal POV for reintroducing the X-Men into the context of the MCU. She was criminally underused in the Fox X-Men series. For audiences who may only know the movie, she'd provide a fresh new face rather than putting Wolverine front and center again. And Kitty is just an inherently likable character with the right casting and a good script. Should be easier for her to win over longtime fans and newbies alike. Agree, disagree, what other characters would you like to see the MCU focus on? Alpha Flight! God, I an Alpha Flight introduction of X Men and mutants to uh, the Marvel Cinematic. I mean, listen, man, we're getting an Eternals movie in 2020. Alpha Flight is not that crazy. <laughs> like, it's, it's kind of not is the thing. And I mean, honestly, Alpha Flight's a big part of a Marvel Hulk right now. Like, they're around. They're not characters who just vanished. Like, I I wouldn't say alpha flight's really a part of immortal hulk are you, you know? i mean they they're more of an apart than the avengers are they're, members they're probably... of alpha flight are supporting characters yes <laughs> that said kitty pride would make a lot of sense as like a real to put a real focus on her like obviously she sure. exists in the in the previous x-men landscape but she's not really a major character um i yeah. i don't hate it I I wouldn't mind yeah. that at all. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's, I, I, you know, the part I like the about that actually the most is like to treat it like it's a school. I think to open in those terms actually is very appealing to me. Um, you know, we like in the Dark Phoenix saga, obviously Kitty, her introduction is so compelling because you have Emma Frost School competing with the Xavier Institute School, and like I I actually like the terms anything that really recontextualizes mutant dumb in these like competing high school atmospheres is yes. is pretty fun because it allows the younger characters to really have a role now we're gonna we're gonna see this with kitty for a little while um until like the new mutants come onto the scene but like if you yeah. did kitty and some of the younger new mutants as kind of your core i, oh, I actually think that works that, so uh, did you see the trailer for the new new mutants movie i haven't watched it i'm still just astonished there might actually be a movie I mean, it's coming out next month. Like, there's a release date. Is it? Is it, though? Is it? Is it April? Um, It's coming out soon, yeah. which is just what... April 3rd, it's coming out. I'm, like, not upset that they're taking a weird risk with it at all. Just the trailer looks pretty boring and pretty uninspired. And it mostly is just making me upset that, like, they're probably going to waste all these... Ca- the same way that... uh the Inhumans, you know, just like the the opportunity cost of these characters being in a really bad property. Yeah, it's know, a like it's a weird the it's a weird no man's land to even exist in. You know, that's why yeah. I yeah, I, yeah. I I would probably be happier if they just put the kibosh on it. Honestly, yeah, I I, I hoped they were just gonna like release it quietly <laughs> on Disney Plus and you know be like, yeah, this is you know it's here, you can watch it. It's a Disney Plus exclusive, but not part of the MCU. So that because I mean those characters are great. The new mutants are like I don't think they're that known to the general public, right? But like they are so engaging right out of the bat, right out of the right out of the right out of the cage, right out of the batting cage. I think is what you're trying to say. Right out of the batting cage, they're really engaging characters and uh I don't, but you're assuming here them. that it's a terrible movie yeah i am assuming it um i will be very surprised if it, if it's any good that i mean if a movie with this rough. history and it got reshot delayed and, and reshot again, for years and years and, and years years yeah, yeah like if it came out and it was just stellar that would defy like the history of of blockbuster yeah. movies you know like yeah. that just yeah, yeah. that backstory just doesn't lead to good product um that said i I'm I'm for anything that is uh, restricting the amount of comic book movies that come out. I don't buy into the, you know the idea of like they're bad for movies and there shouldn't be comic book movies. But I do buy into a greedy profit, obviously driven motive uh, of flooding the market that is bad when there are too many of them. For example, sure. like 
the audience for Birds of Prey or Morbius. I don't know I'm what kind it is. Of, oh, Morbius, I don't understand. I mean, Sony, Sony's probably the biggest, uh, like, I don't know what you're doing except just trying to cash in here. Like, who wants a Morbius movie or a Silver Sable movie? Like, yes, that's wild to me. Birds of Prey, though, I'm I'm a little hopeful about Birds of Prey. Like, I hope it's good. I really do. That new The um, new trailer for it looks pretty fun. Yeah. It's rated R also, which I just found out. That's kind of interesting. Sure. I didn't know that. Um. Okay. Uh. Let's see. Oh, and I just want to call out, I think that was our last email, but we got one from Joseph Lisk, uh, and he just wrote us a very sweet, um, very complimentary email, and uh, thank you, Joe. It was really nice to read all that, and I appreciate it, and he recommended a few people, comic people I should check out uh, as potential guests, and I definitely will do that, so thanks, Joe. Um, let me read the second poll here that we did for 1980. This was Dave's off-the-cuff poll, which is who would make the best U.S. president in the Marvel Universe? Mm-hmm. Um... Last place, kind of surprising to me, Bruce Banner and the Hulk. (laughs) That's surprising to you? (laughs) Yeah, I kind of know. I thought, like, we'd be pretty fun to have a a president who just hulks out sometimes. I mean... I understand. I mean, I guess it... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, some people... (laughs) I think there's a decent amount of the American population who just wants to vote in somebody who will, uh, you know, shake things up. I I think Um, In second to last place, Moon Dragon, (laughs) which I kind of... Included as a goof because there weren't that many good female choices. Um, how many votes sorry. did Moon Dragon get? Yeah, was it just you? How many? Just one. Yeah, and it was just me. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The, I only put Moon Dragon and Sue Storm as female picks, which sucks. But also, like, I think it's kind of Marvel's fault. <laughs> like, I felt guilty, but it's not really my fault. Like, Marvel does not have good, well-rounded female characters uh, at this point. You could add uh, Jan Van Dyne, Carol Danvers. I mean, she. I don't think either of them finally are... got She-Hulk now. Yeah, but based on what we read so far of them, not really. I mean, the Wasp maybe in like three or four years. Yeah, probably. yeah, not, actually, not, like eighties right Wasp actually yeah. makes a, like kind of a lot of sense. Uh, let me just go to the top three here. In third place, Devil Dinosaur. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was a, that was a Justin suggestion. In second place, Professor X, which oh. I think is people just wanting like mutants to get their uh, you know their heyday. I would also and feel then, like we had a, a strong advantage with, like, you know, foreign dignitaries. Yes. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, and then number one, Captain America. So I guess people like that issue. Captain America ran for president. They were convinced. Sold him. Sold him. Yep. See, I feel like anyone who would turn down the presidency is immediately the best candidate for president. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right. I mean, like, the, the the in a pre-crowdsourcing world... Right. In a pre like crowd fundraising world where, you know, individual donors can fund your campaign. The sheer amount of like groveling and ass kissing and just begging for money from wealthy donors that you have to do means that only sociopaths apply. <laughs> right. Like yeah. you have to spend years just groveling. And it's and that means that you really want it, that you desperately want the job. And that should disqualify you. Right. So, yeah, Captain America is not that man. Um. Okay, cool. Let's uh, let's transition into doing our heroes and villains. I have three, so you want me to start, and then you can do yours in the middle here. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um. So let me see. I actually wrote all these down a while ago for seventy nine. So let me get this real quick. Okay. So last we saw, Haben Hero, the spicy assassin. Yeah. Went to jail for uh, for espionage charges. <laughs> got those old espionage charges slapped on him. Yeah, you know how it goes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, got out got out early enough. Good behavior. You know, he still got a good life ahead of him. Kind of became reformed in prison. Decided uh, he can use his spicy, spicy, spicy skills for good yeah. here. Okay. So he moves down to the Southwest, American Southwest, and he opens up 
chili restaurant called the Scovillain Heat Unit. The huh? Scovillain Heat Unit. Yeah. Okay. Huh? I was hoping Pretty he opened good, the right? chilies, but no. Okay. All right. Um, and uh, yeah, and to his surprise, it kind of takes off. He has this, you know, I mean, he's like leaning into his villain persona, right? Like he wears his costume out sometimes. And, uh, you know, while he's like schmoozing with, with guests, he makes the hottest chili in the country, right? One day, guess who shows up to his restaurant? Overwhelm. Oh. Comes in and from a distance, sitting in a corner booth, slowly pushes the emotions of a heaven hero and rekindles those fires of villainy and those 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 pangs that that uh, lust for violence and heat supported assassination, okay. <laughs> spicy assassination that he used to do. Uh-huh. And the heaven hero goes back to his kitchen and he puts in the forbidden Carolina Reapers into the chili and serves it to the entire restaurant. Oh my goodness! Overwhelm walks out of the restaurant full of dead patrons with Heaven Hero not understanding what happened. Yikes. So Heaven Hero, back on his villainy or not, but not at his, uh, not under his own willpower. So sorry, Heaven Hero, you got out, but they pulled you back in. Pulled you back in every time. Yikes. All yeah. right. What's Overwhelm up to? I mean, making Heaven Hero kill people. Yeah. Stay tuned, huh? Yeah. Um, let's see. The, uh, the other one I got here. Uh, oh, Heaven Hero is uh, Mike Cook, and Overwhelm is Aaron Killingsworth. So, thank you. Uh, next one I've got is Ben Grieving, The Laughing Knight, which last we knew maybe died of malaria. A little un- unclear. Right. Controversial. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very controversial, right, in this, this very recording studio. Um, so, as we all know, The Laughing Knight is back in the, uh, the, the Middle Ages in Europe. But today, in the year 2020... There's a man, there's a stand-up comedian, and he's a failed stand-up comedian. He is constantly booed off stage for just old, tired, off-color jokes, Yeah. right? And he's just like, he, you know, he thinks that, like, if it's offensive, it's funny. And it's just, it's not landing with audiences anymore, mm-hmm. right? But the thing is, like, it's like Don not Rickles, offensive to... like, now. Yeah, I mean, but it's just boring jokes, you know? He's just like, <laughs> women, am I right? Take a long time to put that makeup on, huh? <laughs> and then people just like groan and boo. And then he's just like, yeah, PC culture. And he yells and mm, stomps okay. on stage. He's mad about it. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he plans, he makes a time machine, this guy. And he plans on going back to the 1970s. Where those jokes, those jokes are going to kill in the 1970s. Yeah. All you have to do, I mean, you go up, you make fun of women, you make fun of minorities. Bam. You're, you know. Superstar, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, funny stuff. Uh, So, gets in his time machine, accidentally shoots back to the Middle Ages. But guess what? Those jokes, they don't really work here either, you know? Just being an edgy comedian, it's not that funny. I mean, so he's in the middle, you know, he's working alongside the peasants, and he's like, are these brutal working conditions in the field too tough for you? Seems like you need a surf space. Wow. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then you know he like he doesn't do his uh, his share of the labor and he's like yeah sorry i don't have to work in the fields i identify as a noble okay so he's, he's yeah. taking very very <laughs> modern language <laughs> and trying to use it in yeah. medieval times okay yeah and it, it's just not working but he hears about the laughing knight he hears about the laughing knight and he wants that paintball gun for himself because he understands the power that that paintball gun will hold right so he uh, he gets this small little crew of idiot brigands to uh, to follow him, mm-hmm. and he's uh, he's after the laughing knight and his paintball gun. His name, the gaffing knight. The gaffing knight. Okay. Get it? Yeah. Because he makes gaffs. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay. He's my most proud creation. I've never been more proud. Okay. Good. 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 <laughs> glad glad you could have this moment. <laughs> okay. All right. What did you come up with? <laughs> okay. 
So, Colossal Chick Man, as we all well remember, has the powers of a fried chicken, and he... <laughs> That's uh, not sh- <laughs> Well, he's Sorry, bitten by a radioactive chicken. <laughs> yes. And yeah, okay. And he, yep. generally speaking, you know, is, is fried chicken-based. Um, we have not talked about <laughs> his villains so far in much detail. So yeah, I'd like to tell so. us a little bit about today. Who does, you know, the colossal chick man, he stops burglars and he stops criminals. But who are those? He has the silver fox, his, uh, you know. That's right. Of, uh, kind of yeah, a paramour. Yeah. But, but, but I mean, that's like a... Yeah, that's like a sexy rivalry. Right, Not, right. So this yeah. one is substantially less sexy. And yep. one day, uh, Chick Man, he is out in his civilian guys with his girlfriend, Cornelia Kentucka. And they say, hey, there's a new uh, chicken restaurant. You want to go check it out? So they do so. Does he still eat chicken? Oh, exclusively. Oh, weird. Okay. Yeah, he, he loves yeah. chicken. Um, so they go to this like fried chicken restaurant and the it had just opened. So the owner is behind the counter. And the owner, his name is Guy F. Harry. He's got a really cool goatee, some spiky hair. Um, and he says, hey, you can get some fried chicken and pick any two sauces you like. So Chick Man and Cornelia, they pick their chickens and their sauces and they sit down. And then the manager, he goes and he just like puts his chin on the counter as they're eating, like on the table. And he's watching them the whole time. And they feel really uncomfortable, you know, as you might. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sure. You know, he waits like a minute, barely, and he's like, do you like it? Do you like it? He's clearly desperate for approval. And they're being kind of polite about it, but like he keeps asking. And then finally, Chick Man snaps and is just like, no, it's actually not good. This sauce is not tasty. Guy F. Harry's face drops, (coughs) goes into the back room. He puts on a couple squirt guns and tubes going back to sauce containers on his back, runs outside, and begins spraying pedestrians with jalapeno sauce. And this is like, this is his invention. He's got all these different sauces to put chickens in, but he's using the spicy ones, you know? Little habanero vibes here, right? Yeah, yeah. Getting maybe people some uncomfortable, from... some peppers, right? Yeah. Um, he's got one that's like, like avocado mixed with too much cream cheese. And that one's just sticky and messy, right? So he's either making people uncomfortable or he's making them spicy. Either way, it's not fun. Chick Man has to slip into his chicken guys and go and he has to beat up guy f harry who now hates chick man in both his civilian guys and in his chick man guys and i I should point out here that when chick man takes him down it did not take much (laughs) because it's just a guy with a couple (laughs) squirt guns full of sauce he threw uh his patented chick bomb at him which is a a like um a bucket excuse me a chick bucket full of uh fried chicken Toss that at him, and it lands on the ground, and it doesn't actually really do anything. But then he distracted him long enough that he ran up and just socked him one in the nose and took yeah, down yeah, Guy yeah. F. Harry. Do. So that is the newest villain in the Chick Man roster, and uh, I, I kind of want Guy some chicken F. now. Harry. I know, Guy I do Harry. too. You were saying that, and I was like, God, chicken with some dipping sauce. Sounds great. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Guy Guy F. Harry. Bam! Bam. Bam. Just, yep, that's he, I don't know why he's always <laughs> saying that, but yeah, you got it. Yeah, this is this bam. Okay, uh, finally here, uh, I've got one for Mary, and uh, she just, uh, just again, thank you, Mary, for uh, she bumped up specifically to knock us up, but <laughs> to knock us up. Wow. <laughs> Mary knocked Mary knocked both of us up. So thank well, at you least very you can do much, is Mary. Say thanks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> to put our Patreon back up for the uh, the my ultimate show. So thank you very much. Um, so Mary, she is living on a coastal town. 
Um, she is studying and practicing for her diving license, like her diving certification, right? Okay. And uh, and she's just visiting this town for the summer, and you know, taking lessons, enjoying some time off by the beach. While she's there, this this uh, this summer, people keep disappearing. People people out at night keep uh, vanishing on the beach. And uh, you know, they there's all these warnings. She's not allowed to go out on the beach at night. You know, the beach is shut down. They don't know what's going on. But during the day, it seems fine. One day, she goes out on a dive. It's her first solo dive. So she she you know charters a boat, goes out pretty deep, and. Uh, Starts diving down under. She finds some ancient ruins. It doesn't make any sense. What kind of ruins would be underwater? Maybe this, you know, the the water has risen here. Maybe the the erosion has bring the, brought this down. But uh, she doesn't really quite understand. But she goes to explore it because I mean, why why wouldn't you explore? Yeah, you all find these some ruins. ruins. You explore them. Makes sense. Yeah. While she's in there, she finds a what looks like it's this long piece of curved metal uh-huh. and uh, surprisingly untarnished for being underwater. No rust. No, uh, you know, like no impurities on the surface. This, this uh, untouched metal kind of looks like a bow, but there's no, you know, string or place to string the uh, to string the string on the bow. That that's the bow. That's the archery term. Yep. Yeah, string, the string, string the string. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, there is uh, there's this language. There's <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> there's this uh this writing on this this pedestal where she found it, and uh and it says it says this weird language, but she can read it, and it says that this is the Ondabo? 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 It's Portuguese. Oh, Ondabo. Ondabo. I'm on the bow. That's exactly right. right. Just as she picks this up, something something comes crawling out of this dark crevice in the, the ruins here. This, like, strange amorphous thing that's, like, don't even understand what, what it is, you know, like, it, it doesn't make any sense as a creature. It's just this, like, Cthulhu-looking, you know, too many eyes. Too many tentacles. No, no real order to uh, to its physiology. Is it bigger than a deer? And it's exactly the size of a deer. Damn. All right. This is gonna be a tough. Twenty questions. Carry on. <laughs> uh, as she she has the bow in her left hand, as she like starts reeling backwards to try to swim away, her fingers snag on something, and she realizes that uh, there's not a string there. But if she puts her hand where there would be a string on this bow, mm-hmm. she can draw back and fire off what looks like. Kind of a, a water missile, this like golden, you know, or this this white light that fires out, uh, this bolt through the water. Okay. And uh, and she pierces this thing, and it vanishes in a cloud of like black inky goop. She gets back up above the water, is examining this on the beach. Can't do it above the water. Only uh-huh. works underwater. And uh, and she decides, she realizes that this thing must be uh, something, you know, that are attacking the townspeople. She's going to get back in the water using her new <laughs> new diving certification in this new bow that she found yep. and defend this town from whatever threat is happening underwater. And she's going to go by the name Holy Diver. The Holy Diver. Nice. Mm-hmm. With the onda bow. Yep. yep. <laughs> yep. I don't get that. Onda bow. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, it's Portuguese for wave. So Dang. She's, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Going, so uh, going bilingual on me. Yeah, yeah. Love it. So I think that's it. Big, big episode. Big episode, big opinions. And if you don't like it... Um, Take it up with the gaffing night. Yeah. Yeah, do that. Take it up with Dave. Send Dave uh, an email to his work email. I can't take any more mean emails. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, guys, cut it out with the mean emails to Zach. Yeah. He's had yeah, yeah. enough already. No bullying allowed in the My Marvelous Year Shared Universe. Well, uh, uh, this has bully. been a pleasure. Um, I've been happy to do the My Marvelous Year show uh, for as long as I've been able up to this point. So <laughs> I'm going to go. Keel I thought you were just going to like, you're going to end each episode by. Well, uh, thanks for listening. I was happy to record this. Yeah. And uh, yeah. <laughs> just let us all know that. No, it has been this an honor. A... Um, I've enjoyed all of our time together. <laughs> and uh, I, I hope you continue <laughs> to enjoy the club into the future. Yeah. Uh, again, you can find uh, ways to support the show over on patreon.com slash my marvelous year. Music for the show is by Disasterpiece. And uh, you can find links to all of the relevant materials in the show notes. Yes. Anything else we need to plug? I do not think so. Okay. Nope. Thank you, everybody. Onward As always, 1981. 1981 is next. We're going to be digging in to some Frank Miller Daredevil. Oh, and uh, if you want to join past. into the my ultimate, you know, if you want to join into my ultimate year, you can get caught up on Patreon, and we're doing um, episode three. Will be out February first. Awesome, awesome. Thanks, everybody, yep. and enjoy listening to me saying. <laughs> we'll see you next year. <laughs> Good job pulling out of that nose dive. Nailed see it. you next year.